0: Good morning church. It's good to see you. Uh, it's good to be with you today. My name is Lawson Flowers. I am uh, the teaching pastor, one of the pastors over at Redeemer uh, in Tomball. And I am uh, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm so glad that Hans invited me to come. Uh, Hans has been a, a good friend to me. Uh, I, I really enjoy, enjoy him a lot. Uh, and so I appreciate be, being here and just getting to be with With the family, right? With the extended family, the family of God, uh, as we are. I'd like to say Happy Father's Day uh, to to uh, the fathers in the room. Um, It's it's uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be a father. I I have five children uh, myself, uh, five young ones, and so I woke up uh, to uh, to breakfast. Uh, You know, I had a nice breakfast. I had monkey bread, if you know what that is. It's delicious, Uh, and a lot of homemade cards, uh, and so that was that was pretty wonderful. Um, But I just want to say happy Father's Day, and also just acknowledge that Father's Day is not a happy day for for a lot of people. Uh, Father's Day can be filled with a lot of pain and heartache um, for for those who who haven't had good fathers uh, in their lives or good father figures, Uh, and and what a a, a comfort it is that we have a heavenly father. We uh, we, we do have a good father uh, in heaven, even if we don't have one here. Um, we, we're today going to be in, in Acts chapter 4, uh, as, as we just read, but I want to start uh, with a, a story about a young man named George. Uh, George was born in uh, Prussia, which is modern-day Germany, in uh, 1805. Uh, he, was a, uh, he was a troubled kid, you could say. He, was, he, was, uh, he had his, his share of troubles and hardships. Um, in, in 1820, uh, his mother died, uh, so he was only 14 years old, uh, but he actually didn't re- realize that his mother, his mother had been taken sick and had died because he was out uh, uh, roaming the streets, drinking with his friends, and playing cards, uh, which was a big sin back in those days, uh, cards. Uh, and, and so uh, he, was, uh, he, he had, had his problems, um, I mean, the next year, 1821, he spent four weeks in prison. Uh, he, he had run away from home and he was going from town to town. He was living, uh, living in luxury in these hotels. So he would stay for a couple days and before the bill would come, he would skip town, go to the next town, stay for a couple days, skip town. He, he went to a couple, a couple different villages before he was finally caught by the police and put in prison where he was there uh, for four weeks before his father came and bailed him out and then beat him, it said, he said, um, uh, very handily. And so uh, you, you might look at, at George, right, 16 year old, years old, in prison, uh, and you might think, this is an unlikely person for God to use. You might think, man, God, God, probably God wouldn't use that man to do anything. And I think in, in the text today we see... Uh, We see God using some other unlikely people and some unlikely people for God to use. We're going to ask three questions kind of as the sermon progresses. We're going to ask, why were the authorities astonished? Why were they amazed? Um, Two, who were these guys? Who were Peter and John? What was their background? What were they like? And then number three, what made them extraordinary? What made them extraordinary? Let's pray once more uh, as we continue uh, worshiping. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Um, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Um, thank you uh, just for your grace and your kindness. Um, thank you for our fathers, the fathers, uh, those of us who, who have had godly fathers, fathers who uh, loved us, who cared for us, who pointed us to you. Um, Lord, and, and, uh, and, and we, we praise you and we thank you for them and for the good gifts. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for those uh, in, in our midst who need good father, who need father figures, that you would provide those for them. Uh, we pray, uh, we pray that you would comfort those who this day is a hard one for, uh, and, and who, who struggle on on uh, on Father's Day, um, Lord. And we ask that you would you would speak to us through your word. Uh, we know that uh, that uh, <laughs> I, we 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 are not good in ourselves. I have nothing good to say. No one wants to hear any of my words. Um, Father, but we all want to hear from you. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to each of us as we need. You know what we need. Uh, you know everything in our lives, the situations, uh, the, the things that, that uh, you, you would like to speak into. And I, I just pray that we would be open to you. We'd be open to your voice. We'd be open to your, your word. Um, and that we would hear and, and, and obey and believe. And that you'd plant your gospel, your word deep in our hearts. And it would bear fruit uh, to eternal life. In Jesus' name, uh, we ask these things. Amen. First, why were the authorities astonished? Why were they astonished? Uh, Well, we have to do a little bit of context here. In in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, right, this is uh, Pentecost has happened in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has come on the church. Uh, three thousand people are saved and brought in. Uh, the, the, the apostles are walking in, in power. Um, that many people are getting saved and coming to faith every day. Um, and it says that Peter and John were walking into uh, uh, they were going up to the temple, and there was a man who was lame from birth, right? He'd been lame his whole life. His friends or family, whoever, would bring him to the temple uh, steps, set, them there, set him there. He would beg. He was this fixture in the community. Everyone knew him. Um, and, and when they were walking in, he's begging for, uh, for money, for some change, uh, and, and it, it, you know, Peter and John look at him, and, and Peter says, I don't have uh, the old song, I silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, right? I don't have any gold, I don't have any money, I, I got enough change, but get up and walk, right? And he says, get up and walk, and the lame man is healed. He, he gets up, he starts jumping around, praising God, running like crazy, uh, and, and it draws a crowd. Everyone knows him, and they think, that, whoa, wait, wait, who's the... He's walking. And so they all gather together around Peter and John. This is a big commotion. Uh, And and, uh, so Peter and John, they use this as a, uh, what? As a preaching moment. They go, hey, this wasn't us. Jesus did that, right? Yeah, you crucified him, and he rose from the dead. He's alive in power. You want to know why? Here's how you know. This guy's walking. You see him. His power did this. The authorities are not happy, right? They arrest him. Uh, they, They arrest Peter, and they arrest John. Uh, and and they're, they're not happy because he's, it says he's, they're teaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they're like, you they need to stop that. And so they arrest Peter and John. And, and uh, you know, we, we have the, the benefit of knowing the story, of knowing what happens. Uh, you know, it kinda, we kind of have the whole context. But if you can put yourself in, in their situation, the apostles' situation right here, um, this is the same authorities and rulers that have just arrested and crucified Jesus right? This is, the same, this is the, same, the same people, right? The same place. <laughs> they're there, and they're, they're arresting uh, his, his followers. And, and Jesus has told the apostles, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. If you're going to suffer just like I'm going to suffer. So you got to think, Peter and John are going, all right, I think this is the end, right? This, is, this could be it. They could, they could kill us too, just like they just killed Jesus. This was a scary situation, So there's a situation that that would have rightfully uh, brought a lot of fear into their hearts. But as we just read, they're not afraid, right? It says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks boldly right? Uh, and, and he just says, if you're, if you're inquiring what ha- what's been done to this crippled man, uh, you, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, right? <laughs> which is not a smart thing to say to people who could kill you, uh, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, of their salvation and no one else. It just preaches boldly to them, right? Bears witness to the truth. And it says, now when the, they saw, the authorities, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They were astonished. It's interesting, they weren't astonished at the, the lame man walking. Seems like that would be the thing to be astonished about, right? But no, they were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. Right? They, they, these guys, they should be afraid, But they're not. They have this uncommon, this this un... uh, We we haven't seen courage like this. It's amazing. They're they're astonished at this. But it's not just because of their their boldness. Uh, It's because of who they are. So who are these guys? It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and then it says, and perceived, it's not just boldness, but and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Uneducated common men. Now, uh, you can hear the derogatory tone in that, right? Who are these nobodies? Right? Uneducated, common. Like, they, they, they got nothing. I went to Harvard. Where did they go? Like, you know, they were community college. Like, who who are these guys? You know, um, and, and back in this time, uh, G, you know, young Jewish boys would have been uh, been educated to a certain point, and then if they didn't show promise, if they didn't show, hey, you're gonna you're gonna make it in the next you know level, you're you're, you're you got some talent academically, uh, they were sent to a trade, right? So Peter and John, they were they were fishermen, they were fishermen by trade. And they were essentially, uh, you know, you could say high school dropouts. So what they were, it's like, this is like the police, you know, uh, not rescue, (laughs) arrest, arrest some, some uh, high school dropouts that have been, you know, working at McDonald's or mowing lawns or uh, nothing against those jobs, right? Uh, But actually a lot of college educated people do those things now too. Uh, But, uh, but right, like the police arrest these high school dropouts and these high school dropouts just defend themselves like um, amazingly in court and, and are so bold and you're like, how'd you learn to talk like that? You know, like, where'd you learn this stuff? Now, we we might have expected this from someone else, but not from you guys. Uh, These are uneducated, common men. It's true. That's what they are. They're normal guys. And we see that God uses, we see this throughout the scriptures, God uses ordinary, normal people. He uses all kinds of people. He uses unqualified people, unlikely people. You, you could, I mean, you can just walk through the scriptures, and, and, I mean, you could do this. Uh, Abraham, right? God's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a great nation. Who, who am I gonna start with? Let's go with the hundred-year-old guy and his 90-year-old wife. <laughs> it's a good start, right? Uh, that, that's who, that's, <laughs> that's what Abraham thinks, too, like, that's, really, that's your plan. All right. Um, right that's, it seems unlikely that God would use Abraham to be the father of a great nation, right? have, have descendants like the stars, right? like the sand on the seashore, but here we are. You see, Moses... Moses, I don't know if you've, you know, you know, Moses is very celebrated in the New Testament, man of faith, uh, great faithful servant in God's house, uh, the one probably the, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, right? Um, Moses, we think of him as this great guy, but I don't know if you remember, uh, at the beginning, Moses, what, what's his story? He, he flees Egypt, right? He's scared because he, he's murdered someone. He flees Egypt. Uh, he's out in the wilderness. He meets God. He's a shepherd. He meets God in a burning bush. There's a bur- bush that's burning that's not being burned up. And God speaks to him and says, go. You're going to go to Egypt. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm going to use you to deliver my people with a mighty hand. And and, and when when God says something like that, you, you hope the response, and I hope in my life, I hope the response will be like, yes, Lord, I will do it. Whatever you say, I will do, you know? But what is Moses? I don't know if you read this in the beginning of Exodus lately. He's like, God, what? I don't, I don't even know your name. I don't even know your name. That's like, okay, well, you can tell your people, I am who I am, has sent you, right? And like, the, he, ta- he shares his name. He reveals himself in a great way to, to Moses. You think that'd be, okay, good, that's good. And the, but that's not good enough for Moses. Moses says, but, but God, what, what if they don't believe? If they don't believe that, that you sent me? And God says, well, throw it on your staff, Throws it down, becomes a snake. He runs from the snake. Right, he goes like, "Pick up the snake!" All right, He picks it up. It's, it's a staff. Uh, he says, "Put your hand in your cloak. It's got leprosy." Ah! You know, he puts it back in. It's better. Uh, which was a ter- terrifying series of events. Um, just kind of shell shock Moses a little. Uh, but he gives him these signs. Okay, you have these signs that you can perform, so they'll believe you. You might think Moses would be like, "Yeah, sounds good." Now he's like, "I'm not a very good public speaker, God." I just don't, and God says, who made your mouth? Right, I'm gonna go, I'll be with you, I'll give you the words to speak. And finally, Moses goes, he's, he literally says, you can read it, he goes, Lord, please send somebody else. Right, it's just excuse after excuse after excuse. He, he's a coward. Right, he's scared. He doesn't wanna go. But God uses him. He uses him, he's an unlikely candidate, and God used him to bring his people out of Egypt. Uh, you can keep going. Ruth, right? Who's Ruth? She's a, she's a widow. She's a foreigner from Israel. She's a Moabite, right? And she's a widow. She, she, uh, Naomi and her, uh, her husband and sons move, right, move out of Israel. The son, sons marry Ruth. Right? They die. She comes back to Israel with Naomi, the two widows together. Unlikely people. Right, she, she's basically homeless. She's basically a homeless foreign widow in Israel. But she meets Boaz, and God uses her to be in the line of David, in the line of the Messiah. Speaking of David, you can think of David. David has a lot of examples of this. Uh, you can start at the beginning, right? Uh, Samuel comes, comes to, to Jesse's. He comes to Jesse. and says, "I'm going I'm to anoint one of your sons to be the king." the new king of Israel. And so Jesse, all right, starts bringing his sons to Samuel, right? First son, nope. Second son, nope. Third son, nope. Fourth son, nope. Right? Seven sons go before. None of them are the king, right? Samuel's like, do you have any more? And Jesse's like, no, that's all. Oh, wait. No, no, there is one more. David. <laughs> right? Like literally your dad forgot. Like they're, they're, the prophet was coming to anoint the next king and your dad forgot to call you in. Like that's how unlikely he thought it was that you would be the next king of Israel. Uh, and, and so they called David in. For, he's a shepherd. He's in the field. Get in here, David. And he's the next king, right? He's a great king, a man after God's own heart. But what else is he known for? He's known for his sin with Bathsheba. Right, He doesn't go out with the armies like he should. He stays and he, he uh, commits adultery. He kills her husband, one of his soldiers. And you might think, well, that, that would disqualify you from being used by God. But it, it doesn't. God has mercy. God confronts him. He repents. Psalm, we have Psalm 51 because of that. And God uses David even despite his sin. Uh, Esther, you can just keep going. She's an orphan, Right? She's an orphan uh, living under foreign rule. You wouldn't think God would use her. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul uh, persecuted the church. Like You can go through every person and go, they were, man, it doesn't seem like God would use them for anything. It doesn't seem like God could use that person, but they do. Right? God does. They are used over and over and over. And God can use you. Right? It's amazing that God uses ordinary people like you and I it's so encouraging. <laughs> it's so encouraging. Uh, he, he can use even you. And I wonder um, what story it is that you tell yourself as the reason why God won't use you. I, I think we all have these These thoughts we all have these stories that we tell ourselves. Um, Some people call it uh, imposter syndrome. You know, when you get a job and you you start the job and you feel like I don't know at all what I'm doing. I'm just making all this up. This like I'm making all this up. If someone found out, they would just fire me because they would realize I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, And and we can have this in every area of life, right? Parenting, right? Like for Father's Day, you feel like I'm just like I remember being a kid and looking at my parents thinking they had it all together, and now I'm a parent and I'm like. You literally just make it up every day. <laughs> like, I don't know what punishment to give. Like, I don't know how to train this person. Like, what do, what do I do? Um, it, I, I don't feel at all, sure. Um, we have, the, we have these, this imposter syndrome, and I think this, is, this can be deep in our, our hearts. We can tell ourselves stories. So why is it for you? Why do you think God couldn't use you to be his witness, to tell someone else, love someone, and share the gospel with them, so they could be saved, so they could know Him. Dads, what do you tell yourself that, man? I I couldn't, I can't be a, a dad like I want to be for my child. I, what, what, what could it be? I got I didn't, I didn't have that growing up. I don't I don't even know I don't know enough. What story do you tell yourself? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not educated. I'm too educated. I've, I've, I haven't I haven't been a Christian that long. What is it? Get that in your mind. And let's look at the last question. What what made these guys extraordinary? What made them, because they were extraordinary. This, this courage, this boldness, uh, it was extraordinary. It, it was uh, amazing. It's why it's recorded for us, why we still have it. And I think it's interesting that the authorities get it really, they get it right. <laughs> they, they miss a lot of things, but they actually get this exactly right. Now, when they saw, in verse 13, the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized, what? That they had been with Jesus, they had been with Jesus. What made these men extraordinary? You know, it was nothing about them. It was not their education. It was not their background. It was not their personality. <laughs> right? It was not their knowledge. It was Jesus. They'd been with him. Right? They, had, they had been with him. They had belonged to him. They were transformed by him. They were filled by his spirit. This is the thing that made them extraordinary, and it's the same thing that, that makes you extraordinary, right? The truth is, we are all unqualified, right? We're all unqualified. We've all disqualified ourselves from being used by God, haven't we? Might all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gone our own way. We've all rebelled against the creator who made us. It would be a miracle for God to use any one of us in this room. But the gospel says that Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life. He qualified. He was the only one who was qualified for God to use. He's the only one who loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, all the time. He always loved his neighbor as himself. Right? He gave himself for for us. He gave himself for his enemies. And on the cross, he he switched places with us. Right? The qualified for the unqualified. He took our sin so that we could be his righteousness. And so because of him, we are qualified. We, we can be used by God. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 2? Right? Not that we're sufficient to claim anything in ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. In the gospel, all, all of your reasons, all of the, every story that we tell ourselves about why, we, why God couldn't use us, it's interesting because they're they're true, and they're not true. Right? They're true in that you know what we are unqualified. <laughs> we are we do, we do not qualify. We, God should not use us. We we don't deserve to be here. Like I don't deserve to be standing in front of you preaching. You think I, I you think I should be here? No way. But because of the gospel. Right, Jesus has taken our sin and he's given us his righteousness. And now we walk by the spirit. Right, and and God uses, he makes us sufficient. He fills us with the spirit, he fills us with power and he uses ordinary, everyday, disqualified people for his kingdom. All right. It, it's amazing news, and it's wonderful that he does it. Um, George Mueller, back to him. George, the, the, the young man, his name is George Mueller. Uh, one, one of my heroes, a great, a great uh, biography to read, uh, if you haven't read about George Mueller um, he, he went on, so he got out of prison, his, his father beat him severely, as I said, uh, and, and sent him to college to become a pastor. Um, and in these days, being a pastor was just a, a steady income, right? The, the, the dad was thinking, uh, I just want to live in the parsonage with my son when I'm old, so I'm going to send him to college to be a pastor. George actually says he went to seminary, and like all of his classmates were not even converted. Everyone was just going to be a pastor because that was a good job back then. Um, while, he was in, while he was in college, though, he went to a Bible study at, at someone's house, and he was converted, Right, he, he, he heard for the first time John three sixteen and the spirit applied it to his heart. Right. He said he said God loved the world, he loved me, that he gave his only son, that I could have eternal life, right, if I turned to him. Uh, yes, and he he, uh, he was converted and was born again. Um, and, and, he became a, 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 Christian, which is great when you want to be a pastor to also be a Christian. Um, and so he, he started, uh, he started, you know, he, he kept in his education and he really felt God called him to be a missionary. He told his dad, his dad was not happy because his dad was like, I spent all this money on your you know, education to be a pastor and you're not going to be a pastor. Uh, but, but that didn't deter. George, uh, and he ended up moving to, to England. So he went to England as a missionary. Uh, he became a, a pastor of two kind of small congregations where he preached. And very early on in his ministry, he, uh, he read the, the verse uh, in, in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And he, he, he was reading that verse, and he was thinking about his congregation. He was thinking about the people who, who he felt like just didn't have faith. They didn't trust that God, that God would really provide, right? That God still, still was still alive and would still provide for his people. And he said, how can I help them? Um, and he said, I, I think God's leading me to, to not take a salary, and so uh, George, uh, he, he said, he, he told his church, he said, hey, you don't have to pay me anymore. I'm just going to put a box in the back. And uh, if, you, uh, you know, if you feel led to give some money, whenever you do, please do. But I'm never going to tell anyone that I need money um, or I'm, uh, that I'm in need at all. I'm just going to pray and trust God that he's going to provide for me when the time is right. And so uh, he started living this way. And Hans actually told me he wants to do this. So you guys can stop paying him. Uh, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Hans. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, the, uh, so so, so uh, he started living this way, right? And there were some close scrapes, and he records this all in his journals. You can read the journals of George Mueller. Uh, they're really, they're amazingly uh, faith-strengthening. And, and so he, 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 would, he was living this way, and, and there were close scrapes, but he never went without. He always had what he needed. Um, but he still, he saw, he just saw in the people, he saw such a lack of faith. And some people would, would, he he, he talks about visiting someone who, who, uh, was a mill worker, I think, and was like, Hey, I just have to work seven days a week. I can't take off to go to church because I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. And he's like, man, you got, you can't trust that God would provide for him. Um, and so uh, he he was trying to think of uh, more ways to strengthen people's faith, and he said, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start an orphan house. He, there's lots of orphans, lots of needy orphans. And this is what what Mueller is known for. If you know George Mueller, this is what you probably know about him. He started uh, caring for orphans. He started a small orphan house, opened it up a couple a couple small houses, uh, ended up building two very large orphan houses, um, and having a big staff, uh, and and caring for uh, orphans in his in Bristol, England." Uh, he he, uh, conti- he continued to do this year after year after year. Uh, he ended up in his uh, he ended up doing this for over fifty years, and he cared for more than ten thousand orphans uh, in his time. And and in- through all of it, he he continued to live the same way that he had started living as a, as a pastor at, at these two little congregations. He, he never raised money. He never went out and asked people for money. Um, he simply would, would pray and ask God to provide for himself, for his staff, for all of the hundreds of orphans he was caring for. And God would provide every single time. And there's just story after story. You know, there's, the, I think the most famous one is they didn't have breakfast. The, the orphans were sitting down for breakfast. They didn't have food. And George Mueller stands up and says, we're going to pray. Um, because we're going to have to go to school soon, so we've got we to get this going. And he, he just prayed that God, he just thanked God for the food he was going to provide. And there was a knock at the door, and the baker comes in and says, I, I couldn't sleep last night. I felt like God wanted me to break bread, so I woke up at 2 a.m., and I hear some fresh bread, right? And they Thank you, God. They, they, they brought it in. And before he had even left, right, there's another knock at the door. Uh, and the milkman comes in and says, hey, my cart just broke down right in front of your door. Uh, the milk's all going to go bad. Do you want to just use it? Uh, so they had bread and milk for the morning. right? This is the kind of stuff that would happen over and over and over. And he never lacked a thing. Uh, he was a man of great prayer and, and of great faith. And, and God used him to change so many lives, Right, so many lives, uh, so many people met the Lord because of George Mueller, and so many people's faith was strengthened. And, and I, I wonder sometimes, if you, if you read biography, uh, you, you might wonder, man, what would he say to us? What would he say if he was here? And I think I, I think I can guess. I think I know what he would say. If he was here, what would he tell us? And this is uh, from, from his, uh, his writings Here's what what George Mueller said. The welfare of our families, the prosperity of our business, our work and service for the Lord may be considered the most important matters to be attended to. But according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. He said, here's the most important thing. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you The Lord's work, even, may have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all other things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled conviction for the last 35 years, For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to notice, to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effective service is joy in God and having experiential acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. George Mueller, I think, would say, the most important thing is that you're happy in God. That your soul is happy in God. And so I wonder, uh, for, for, for brothers and sisters, for Christians in here, I wonder if, if you've been with, it says they were, they were with Jesus, they'd been with Jesus. I wonder if you've been with Jesus lately. <laughs> I wonder if, if your souls are happy in God. I think there, there's, there's more for us. Um, there, there, there's, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, man, just believing the right things, knowing the right truth, you know, and that's important. Um, but do we have, like he said, experiential fellowship with God Himself? Are are we are we being with the Lord? I just I just recently reread uh, a little uh, a little pamphlet um, the, pra- the practice of the presence of God uh, by Brother Lawrence I don't know if you've you've read of this He's a, he was a monk in the uh, 17th century um, but but he was a pretty ordinary person uh, He was a, uh, early on he was a he was a, a poor man He was in a soldier He got injured so he was kind of le- he had like leg problems But he entered a monastery He became a monk um, and he uh, he ended up. He was a cook for a while, up until his he couldn't stand up anymore, so they made him a sandal maker um, for the rest of his life. So he didn't really do anything extraordinary from an external perspective, uh, but he became a, a real spiritual guide to people. People just man were drawn to the peace and and the joy in his in his life, um, and he wrote this book that's still it's a, a Christian classic. It's still in print uh, today. But the way that he talks about. Uh, being happy in Jesus. The way he talks about being happy in the Lord, it, it's something that, uh, man, I want so badly. <laughs> and I thought I might just read a little bit, just, just as a, a kind of teaser for this. Um, he says, uh, he says this, I consider myself as the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruption, and who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king Touched with a sensible regret, I confess to him all my wickedness. I abandon myself in his hands, that he may do what he pleases with me. This king, full of mercy and goodness, far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me, incessantly, in a thousand and a thousand ways, and treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. My most usual method is this simple attention and such a general passionate regard to God to whom I find myself often attached with greater sweetness and delight than that of an infant to the mother's breast so that if I dare to use the expression I should call this state the bosom of God for the inexpressible sweetness which I taste and experience there. That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? How, like, he, he, and it is filled with this language of like such sweetness, such, such uh, closeness with the Lord. Are your souls happy in God? Right, and, and don't see it, don't hear it as a condemnation, right? That's not what Jesus is here for, <laughs> right? Uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is an invitation, right? It's, Jesus invites us he invites us to come to him, right? What is the point of reading your Bible every day? What's the point of coming to worship, of confessing, right? Like we did, confessing our sins together, right? Coming before the Lord. Is it not to, to be with Jesus, to make our souls happy in him? It's for, it's, the point is a person, it's him. It's not to check boxes. Who cares about boxes, right? We care about the Lord. Right? he invites us, he invites us to joy, to joy in him, and he's inviting you in, in, into, into joy and into his mission, to, into use. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your background is. Right? God uses ordinary people who he fills with his spirit, and he fills with his joy.